So good, man. That was amazing. I love video worship, but there's nothing like live worship. Mark chapter 8, verse 13, talking about Jesus, it says, Then he left them, that's Jesus, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the east of the Pharisee and that of uh, the Pharisees and that of Herod. Verse 16, they discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you not have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? I want you to say these words after me. Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basket full of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the, for the 4,000, how many basket full of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? I like that verse. Yeah, there's, a, there's a concept in, 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 in theology called repetition. And you see these words constantly in this chapter, in this, in this scripture. Do you not understand? Do you not understand? Do you not understand? And do you not remember? Or don't you remember? Why don't we pray? Father, I thank you, God, that every time your word is spoken, transformation begins to happen. People begin to experience healing. Lives are changed and transformed. We're not here just to get a good thought. We're not here just to have a little sort of a motivational moment as we enter into work day tomorrow. We are here because we are here because we know that when your word is spoken, things begin to happen. And I thank you, God, that you're doing great and mighty things. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Your Past Plays a Part. Your Past Plays a Part. A part. You add an OR, you get your past that plays a part, and that's also true. But your past, if you're American, your past <laughs> plays a part. If you're Indian, your past <laughs> plays a part. If you're, if you're Arab, your past. Because in Arabic, I don't know if you know this, there's no the letter P. So everything that is P is B. So Biza, Bebsi. <laughs> Just educating, all right? Your past plays a part. You're like, he usually gets funny after like the 10-minute mark, but it's starting already this morning. I know, I'd, we, we think the baby's arriving on Wednesday, so I might have a, a mini preach break for the next couple of weeks. I'm going to go all out this morning. Your past plays a part. As I shared with you earlier on, Leah and I, uh, we, you know, we're obviously having this baby. I mean, I've contributed to it, but she's doing the tough yards. I'm praying for her. 39 and a half weeks. So yesterday I said to her, and Leah's reaching this place where it's hard for her to get out of the house and things like that. I said, Leah, it's the last day. I'm taking you out. I'm canceling everything. I want to take you somewhere. Like, I know it's going to be a while, you know, when you go out and things like that. I'll take you to the city. I'll take you to, I'll even drive to the Gold Coast. I'll, like, whatever you want me. Choose a place, literally. Literally choose a place. And so Leah dresses up. Looks so good. I mean, she looks so good that number four would have been coming. You know what I'm saying? She, <laughs> No ideas, desire. So, 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 so she was just like, she looked good. And then the kids follow her because, you know, we've got two daughters. So da daughters do what mom does. They're both wearing these beautiful dresses. I'm just like, man, everyone's like looking great. She hasn't told me where we're going yet. 
And so I'm like, I'm just wearing like, you know, just wearing my shorts and t-shirt and all that. I'll just go somewhere. I was like, man, she dressed up so fancy. I, I reckon it's got to be some five-star steakhouse. I don't know where, French place, Italian, I'm not sure. So I dress up, I put something on. Uh, and, and so, and I'm like, we jump, jump into the car. I'm like, Leah, where are we going? And she says what every good wife would say. She says, Bunnings. <laughs> I am not making this up. For the record, the handyman at the mat home is a handy girl. <laughs> but anyways, moving forward. So she says, let's go to Bunnings. I'm like, what? I'm like, you know, I was excited about going out. Like, you know, I was excited about the company, but I was excited about what I'm about to consume. And so she's just like, we're going to Bunnings. Why? It's like, Alwyn, once a baby comes, I've got this list of things to be done, but I know it will not be done. I know you'll be busy. So I want to go out there and book these things and get these things. And at some point we'll get around to it. I was like, okay, okay, fine. So we go to Bunnings. We spend, uh, you know, uh, just under an hour there. And then we end up some Somewhere, 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 I'm just like, let's at least have a drive. Let's do something. Let's just go for a drive somewhere. I'm like, can we at least drive to the city? Can I just hear the toll road tag? You know what I'm saying? Like just something that I did with my wife. You know, I feel like I'll also be judged by you when you say, what did you do with Leah before? But anyways, so, so I'm just like, let's do something. So we end up, we, we go for, we don't really go for a drive. We end up on More I Feel Road. Yeah, excitement. <laughs> okay. So, so we end up on More I Feel Road. Now, now, when I say more I feel road, it might mean a lot of things to a lot of us. It might be a place that we go back and forth when we're going on the way to Sunshine Coast or going somewhere else. But more I feel road, I, I, I didn't realize how long, it's been so long since I've been on more I feel road. I mean, I, I think the last time I was on more I feel road, or at least the way I was last night was probably five, six years ago. Now, for those of you who don't know, Lee and I lived near, just around the corner near more I feel road before we started Downpour Church. And so as we were going to Morrowfield, what ended up happening was we ended up taking a lease to our old home and showed her that was the apartment that when you came out from the hospital as a baby, that's where you went. And, you know, she saw that the apartment had a pool that I never used. She's like, oh, dad, there was a swimming pool. How cool. Dad, you were rich back then. No, so, <laughs> kids these days. And so she's just excited. And we're like, yeah, we went here and we went here and we were recounting the moments on Morrowfield Road. Literally, what did you do with your pregnant wife just before she had the baby? We drove on Morrowfield Road. That's right. So we're driving through Morrowfield Road. I'm telling you. And I begin to remember, because for those of you don't know there was a moment where we were not I know you will be confused but we were not always Australian <laughs> yes <laughs> I know you're mesmerized you're you're like oh, no, I don't know he's lying he's lying no we were not always Australian there was a, there was a time when our visas were rejected and we had to go to the court and sort of appeal our case and that happened on more I feel road Oh, there was a time when, 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 you know, we had Elise and it was one of those things where we were going to have this baby, but she sort of came a bit earlier than anticipated and we still did not have Medicare yet. Medicare had not kicked in and we were sort of working out like, how are we going to have this baby without government support and all that? And obviously it kicked in before she arrived, but that all happened on More I Feel Road. And all of a sudden it was almost like driving around memory lane and I began to come in contact with my past. I don't know if you realize this, but when we started Downpour Church, when the idea of Downpour began to come on us, it was on more I feel role to the point that when we had to register for an ABN, we had nothing happening that the registration of, of, of the ABN for Downpour Church was on more I feel road. You know what I'm saying? And I began to drive down more I feel road and begin to think about all these things. And the reason why I'm talking about, about this is because we've been studying on this topic called hope. And the word for 2021 is hope and imagination. 
and we've learned and we've established the truth that hope is an abstract idea, but the action of, of hope is imagination. Hope is a far-fetched thought. Hope is something that we, I hope that happens. I hope that arrives. But imagination is where hope lives. And we've been studying as a church that, that we've got to get our imagination right. And when we get our imagination in the right direction, that, that's when hope is activated. And faith comes alive and hope is alive. And hope is active. And last week we looked at how hope is a spiritual womb. We looked at how hope has a frame. And I want to share with you this morning about the power of your past because your past plays a part because hope has a memory. As I drove down Morrifield Road, all of a sudden I begin to think about the challenges that we face as a church today. But as I drove down that road, that fed my moments because as I drove down memory lane, hope began to birth in me because I began to imagine the miracles that we had once that we need to believe again. See, before any of you ever arrived, Downport Church began to, I remember as I drove down uh, Morrifield Road, I looked at the coffee club to my right side where I had my first meeting with Petrus, who's now sitting on the right side of the room. He was the first member. He was the first person. I said, I'm thinking of starting this church. And he said, I'm in. See, before anybody, any of us arrived here, there was this thing called hope that was birthed at this place called Morrifield Road. And just like I'm talking about how that memory moment triggered something in me, that which happened in my past somehow found itself in my present to give me hope for the future. And I believe this is such an important thing because I don't know if you know this, but God uses our memory. And the reason he uses our memory is because he gave us our memory. He could, do you know that God could have made a choice where every day you could have woken up and you've, not forgot, you've forgotten what the previous day was like? He could have done that. But God has given us a memory and that memory is a gift from Him. And you notice this constantly in Scripture that whenever God's about to do something good or something big, He reminds people of what He's done. I don't, I don't, real, I don't think God really needs to remind people of what He's about to do. It's not like God is turning up to your doorstep asking for a job. That sounds like God's looking for employment. God doesn't have to tell you anything about what he's done because he's God. He doesn't need your permission for him to move. But the thing about God is the reason why he tells you what he's done is because he's trying to trigger your memory, which insinuates your hope. And all of a sudden, faith comes alive within you. It's not that God does not need us. It's that he's chosen us and he's chosen even our memories to be trigger points to actively activate his hand. It, we see it through and through in Scripture where God turns up. There's a guy in the Bible called Gideon, and Gideon is just doing his thing, and, and the angel of the Lord turns up, and the angel turns up to him and says, I'm the God who set you free from Egypt. Now, when, when the whole Egypt thing happened, Gideon was not there. None of those guys were there, but what was God doing? God was reminding Gideon that I've done it before. He was reminding him of a memory of what he's about to do. I'm, a God, I'm the God who took you out of Egypt. You notice this constantly through and through in the Bible. When God appeared to Isaac, Abraham's son. How many of you know Abraham had a son called Isaac? When he appears to him, he says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I haven't done anything great in your life, but I've done something great in your dad's life, and I'm about to do it again. When he appears to Jacob, he says, I'm the God of your grandfather, Abraham, and your father, Isaac, and I'm about to be your God. I'm triggering your memory of how blessed you are because I'm about to do it again. When he comes into the life of Moses, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does God do that? Because he always triggers our memory to activate our imagination so that faith can come alive. 
we see this through and through in the nature of God. One of, the, one, of the, one of the things that God did in triggering memories is this thing called the Passover. The Passover was this crazy thing where, where this angel of death, as the Bible says, was going through town killing people. That's pretty bad. And, and, and God talks to his servant Moses and says, I want, you to, I want you to do this Passover meal because the angel of death is going to pass over your home. And that was a one-time occurrence. That was a one-time incident. But you know what? That became an annual moment. Every year, the children of Israel would now celebrate Passover. Why? Because God loves memories. And so centuries upon centuries, they're having the Passover meal until Jesus rocks up to the scene and he takes the same instruments of the Passover and he says, this is now no longer just called the Passover. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me because God loves memory. Your past plays a part. God loves memory. Are you understanding the nature of God? See, if you can understand how God operates, it helps us understand how our life is meant to be. Your past plays a part. And so God uses memory to do something. And in Mark chapter 8, we read a story of Jesus and his disciples. There's so many of these great stories, but the Bible says that they're on a journey. And Jesus does his usual thing where he uses normal day-to-day things to preach to people or to teach to people. Uh, There's one occasion where he takes a little bit of seed and he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, he uses all these small uh, examples. And so he uses these words. He says, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. Now the disciples heard that and they thought Jesus is hungry. Oh boys, it's lunchtime. I think the master's hungry. And, and, and so they start going to a whole, Jesus is talking in a whole nother realm. They start operating in a whole nother realm and they start talking about whose turn was it? Because how many of you know when you're in a group that big, there's got to be some kind of a roster. There's got to be some kind of a someone's turn to bring it. And Andrew is arguing. And Andrew saying, Peter, I knew you overate at that buffet thing. You should have stored, stacked up some bread. Come on, look what's happened. You know, they're all looking at Judas. Judas is like, oh, I don't got nothing. His pockets are clinging with money. You know what I'm saying? It's just sort of like this whole confusion's happening among the disciples. And so Jesus hears this conversation. And Jesus, I mean, you've got to understand, Jesus takes a moment to share something. And he says, what are you arguing about? Are you confused about what we're going to have for lunch? And he asks them the question, where were you when I fed the 5,000? Where were you when I multiplied the five loaves and the two fish? Where were you when I fed the 4,000? And then here's the crazy part. He does not just stop there because it would have been good enough for him to say that I fed them, right? In other words, it would have been good enough for him to say, I've taken care of you. But the question he asks is not that. He asks the question, how much? What's left over the next day? See, because when God comes into a situation, He does not just give us enough. He gives us more than enough. And He was saying, see, you are worshiping me and following me and praying and singing based on that moment that you need. But what you don't understand is when I enter a moment, I'm not just giving you manna. I'm not just giving you bread. I'm not just giving you provision. I'm not just giving you supply for today. I'm also giving you supply for tomorrow. And what he was saying was he was using their imagination. He was triggering their memory to rather stir up an imagination of hope. I'm not sure if, uh, I know you're getting this, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to really, really tattoo this in your mindset. There's a story in the Bible of a guy called King David. King David is probably one of the most influential kings of Israel. And King David is done, has done all these great things. Maybe you do not know much of the Bible, but King David was the guy that took down Goliath. And, 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 as, and as his kingdom advanced, 
there was this moment where he said, I have a house, my friends have a home, my servants have a home, but God has no home. And there's a moment where he says, I want to build this house for God. And I believe that's a real defining scripture for us as a church. I believe that God has called us to build a house. I believe that we will have a house. It's not just a physical house. It's also a spiritual house, but a physical house is also important as part of that. And so he begins to conspire this big dream. He begins to imagine up this big vision of what this house can be. But all, all, at that moment, God says to him, you're, you're going you're gonna to make, in fact, God says something incredible. God says, you're going to make provisions for this house, but you're not going to build it. Your son's going to build it. But what I love about King David is he was proactive and he said, I may not be there for the arrival of this house, but it does not stop me from preparing for this house. And so he starts imagining and then the Bible says he started giving. In fact, scholars say that, he, that the, total, the total amount of what they gave was close to 200 billion to the whole investment of building a house for the glory of God in modern day and so he started giving of the kingdom's wealth but also of his personal wealth and then the bible says that the people seeing the king's generosity stepped up to the plow and said we're gonna give so there's this this generosity craziness happening it's like you're gonna give that i'm gonna give more or you're gonna give that it's like this auction thing happening it's like people are just going generous with god and there's a scripture in the bible it is in the king james so it sounds a bit old school but there was a word in there that stood out to me as i was reading and studying on this message this week that i think is quite essential for us to capture and there's this moment where david sees the generosity of god's people and he starts praying and he says this very unique prayer and i found that in this prayer we find this this blueprint of how God and people that understand God operate and and he's having this moment when in, in first chronicles chapter 29 verse 17 David says as for me in the uprightness of my heart I have willingly offered all these things now I've seen the joy thy people rather your people which are present here to offer willingly unto you so in, in other words he's saying I've just seen this no one's forcing their arms no one's preaching 15 offering messages at a service they're just doing it out of the generosity of their hearts but then he says oh Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Israel our fathers keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of your people and prepare their hearts unto this. He's not even talking about a building here. He's saying, God, keep this moment forever in their memory lane. Keep this moment forever in their imagination because there's going to be days where they feel hopeless. There's going to be days where they feel no, no, they're not feeling full of faith. There's going to be days where they feel as God is with me. But if they can have this moment forever in their imagination, it changes their perspective of worship. Keep this forever in their imagination. History goes on to tell us that this temple was built. This temple was glamorous. This temple, people came from all over the world to watch this temple. But if you've lived long enough, you know that history also teaches us that this temple was destroyed. But if you, if you ask every Jew, they would say the one thing even to this day that has kept them associated with their land is this temple. Keep this forever in their imagination because hope has this thing. It's got this thing. When hope gets a memory, it gets a hold of you. When hope gets a memory, it has this thing that God's about to do something great. And that's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. He was saying, I know you don't have any bread, but don't you remember? Where is your eyes? Where is your heart? What are you seeing? What are you listening to? Because hope has a memory. And it's such an important thing. See, we got to understand this because I believe Joseph got a hold of this. 
If you know the story of Joseph. Joseph had this incredible promise, but Joseph got ripped away from his home, got ripped away from his father, got thrown in prison, got falsely accused. But there was this memory, and the memory that he had was of this dream that one day he was going to be great. There was something in his past that played a part in his present and in his future. And for whatever reason, and here's what I'm trying to, I believe there's people in this room whose dignity, whose title, whose role, whose credibility, whose relationships have been stripped apart. But if you have gotten a hold of a memory of something that God did in you, for me, it was more I feel road. For you, it might be something else. But if you can go down that lane, I think God can do something incredible in the days to come. Oh, that you would forever keep it in their memory. I, knew, I know that David got a hold of this, which is why in Psalm 103, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not how he saved me from Goliath. Forget not how he took me out of the grave. Forget not how he healed me from cancer. Forget not how he made me pay for that bill. Forget not about that time in my life. Let me not forget. See, the problem is a lot of times we remember the wrong things and we forget the right things. It's not that we have a problem with forgetfulness. It's that, and I'll tell you why. The only reason the disciples knew that it was lunchtime was because they had a memory. How do you know it's lunchtime? Because you have a memory. And your memory, for some of us, it might be, uh, in that case, it was their stomach. They were probably feeling the hunger pains or whatever. But there was something that triggered a memory. And it's not so much that we don't have a memory. It's that sometimes we fill a memory bank with the wrong thing. But if we can get, that's why David had to pray that way. That's why David had to say, if you could take this moment, not the, not the moment where the guy took the hammer and sort of broke a finger building the temple, not the moment the guy, the plans all went apart, not the time when that thing came falling apart, not the, not the delay in the building project, not the, not the guy that didn't turn up, not the council situation we are facing with the building. If they can remember this moment, if they can get this into their imagination, they would forever remember you and the disciples are so confused because they're just talking about what are we going to have for lunch and Jesus is like do you not see do you not understand do you know what Jesus was saying he was saying how dare the space in your mind that should have been occupied by the story of my provision has been sabotaged by your fear for hunger he was saying, how dare you get, allow that space in your mind that should be occupied by my provision has been sabotaged by that spirit of fear. And here's the thing. Can I just add to this? Because I need to be careful about where I'm about to go. The Bible does not say, and Jesus slapped all 12 of the disciples and said, thou shalt never hunger. But that's what the church teaches. Boy comes to youth and is a bit playful with the girls, so we institute a law called purple. I'm talking about another church. <laughs> because the thing about Jesus is he's willing to accommodate your hunger, but he's willing to surgically address a deeper need. He never once said, you guys are so unspiritual, you ought to be fasting and praying. How dare you talk about hunger when you're in my presence? There's nothing wrong 
with an appetite for love. There's nothing wrong with an appetite for something. Just make sure you, you've got it in the right space. Just make sure you've got the right data in your memory bank. See, a lot of, it's easier for us to abolish the hunger pain. It's easier for us to get rid of that craving. It's easier for us to, ah, well, let's not even go there. Maybe that's not the thing. Maybe the thing is, maybe, maybe, maybe that memory, that moment has been substituted with something, with a pain, with a tragedy, with a trauma. Maybe, I do not know what Peter's journey was. Maybe he was left starving as a kid. I'm not sure what happened there. But Jesus addressed that not with a policy, but with a promise. See, so many times we would abide under a policy as opposed to a promise. When God is saying, I'm not here to give you another policy, I'm about to give you a promise. And that promise at times is not provision. Here's the thing. The promise at times is not a provision, it's a memory. See, we think God's provided as long as there's provision, but sometimes the provision comes in a promise. And it may be a detour that takes you to Bunnings that lets you drive on Morafield Road to remember the goodness of God, that God was there with me at that intersection. God was me with there at that coffee shop. God spoke to me at that place. I don't need another word. I just need a new memory. I just need some new insight on the goodness. No wonder the, the psalmist says, your goodness and your mercy shall follow you. Sometimes you've got to look back and see who's following Sometimes you've got to look back and see what he has done before you're about to look. Sometimes we get so excited about the future and so broken about the present. But sometimes it's good to look back and do a 360 and have a perspective of what the Lord has done. I think it's important. And, I, I, you know, here's, here's the thing. Psychology looks into my past for a pattern. But the Holy Spirit looks into my past for a promise. We've become, we've become pattern experts, haven't we? Like, oh, there's a pattern here. Oh, there's a pattern here. Oh, there's a pattern here. Maybe you got to stop looking at the patterns and start looking at the promises of God that carried you through that pattern. Look, it's a given. It's a given that you're messed up. It's a given that I'm messed up. Let's all agree that we're all messed up. But what I'm looking not is not at the pattern. I'm looking at the promises of God. And His promises are yes and amen. And His promises have carried me through. His promises have carried you through. And His promises are going to keep carrying us through in Jesus' name. And here's the thing. I want to encourage us over this next couple of days to think about the places. For me, it was... More I feel road. And I've got many other moments. I've got many other junctures. I've got many other, other times it's been, a, it's been a notebook. I've just opened a journal and there's a page in there that speaks to me. And, uh, and you know, as I, as I drove past the road yesterday, I was reminded of moments when downpour didn't exist. I was, I, was moment, I was reminded of moments where I needed a visa. And today, here we are citizens holding the certificate, posting it online. You know, I, was, I was reminded of moments, you know, where I sat with Petrus. I was reminded of moments of emails that came through. I was reminded of moments where I saw the building. I've reminded of moments. And as I was driving by the, that road again, something began to breathe inside of me. It was not like I had a new word. In fact, I actually don't even need a new word. I just need to get a hold of that thing in my memory, tether that to my imagination and, and say, God, I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to walk in that because I know your promises are yes and amen. That's why Jesus said these words, do this in remembrance of me. Because he recognized how important is your memory. That's why he's given us this thing called communion. But 
I'm not just talking, this is not a communion message, but I'm helping you to understand and identify how God operates. And he uses our memory to trigger our imagination. Do this in remembrance of me. I want to encourage you. You have a place. You have a street. It might be, it might be that, that, that it might be a mark on the wall. It might be something in the calendar. It might be a journal somewhere. It might be a Facebook post. It might be a, a message from somebody. But you know that place I'm talking about. For me, it was more I feel road yesterday. For you, it might be something else. But what is that place? Get before that place. And sometimes we get before that place to have the same emotions of that place. No, 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 no. That's not the point. The point is get to that place so that you can remember what happened at that place. Look what the Lord has done. And all of a sudden it changes everything that happens in Jesus' name. And even this morning, you might be here and you might have had experiences that doesn't make sense. If I can get Sam on the guitar, that would be amazing. You might have experiences that doesn't make sense. And that's why I love the gospel. Because you know what the gospel is? The gospel is God taking your memory and making sense of it. Because death, a story of death, a, a story of tragedy, a story of trauma, a story of pain. You know, some of you know the story of my wife, Leah. Uh, many years ago when we were traveling, we had, we've had authors and even one director come to Leah and say, we got to make a movie of your life. If you don't know, she'd been through incredible trauma, incredible pain. But people never hear about it. But people see the victory. See, we have so many people in the church that talk about the trauma, but don't understand the victory that carried them through that trauma. I empathize with the trauma, but the movie we make is not the movie of your trauma. No, no, no. The movie we make is the miracle that you are. The movie we make is that there was bread in supply. The movie we make is that you're victorious and you're conqueror in Jesus' name. And I want to encourage us. And that's why I love when people give their hearts to Jesus. Because when you give your heart to Jesus, everything that happened behind you, all of a sudden makes sense. The trauma makes sense. The abuse makes sense. The lies make sense. The slander makes sense. The divorce makes sense. The anxiety makes sense. The pain makes sense. The abuse, the addiction makes sense. The regret makes sense. The guilt makes sense. Everything makes sense because God has this thing where He will take your memory and breathe hope for today. If you're in this room right now, if I can have every eye closed in the presence of God, I believe God's done what He's done in this place. And if you're saying, I don't understand my past. I don't understand why I'm here. There's so many things I'm confused about. Maybe you feel far from God. Maybe at one point you walk with God. Maybe there's a time when you had a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you walked away from that. Maybe you're not even sure. Maybe you've just arrived here. You just didn't show why am I, what am I doing in this building? Regardless of how you entered this room, it does not matter. I know right here, right now, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And He wants to enter that space and He wants to breathe life. He wants to breathe hope into that situation. And if that is you right now, if you need to come back to Jesus, or if you need to say yes to Jesus, it's as simple as saying, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord. And today is that day. If that is you right now, with every eye closed in the presence of God, I want you to slip your hands up right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is your moment. Just, just raise those hands up if that is you right here, right now. 
I see that hand. Is there anybody else? You're saying, ah, that is me. That is me. Just include me in that prayer. We're not calling you to the front or anything like that. Just, just, if that is you, just quickly. I see that hand there. Is there anybody else? You're saying, I need to come to Jesus. I need to come to Jesus. I need to come to Jesus. I know when he comes, he's going to make sense of your past in Jesus' name. Is there anybody else? You're saying, I need to say yes today. I need to say yesterday. Sometimes you might have this thought that says, maybe it's not today. No, I want, I want to say today is your day. Today is that day. Just slip, just slip those hands up if that is you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we say this prayer together? Jesus, come into my heart. I give you my life. Take away the shame, the guilt, the pain, and the sin. So from this day forward, you are my God. You are my father, and I am your child. I'm no more the same. Fill me now with your spirit. Give me new life in Jesus' name. With every eye closed, if you're here and you know Jesus, but this message spoke to you, and you're like, man, I've been waiting for the next when maybe I just needed to go down memory lane and pick up what the Lord has done. I just needed to go for a drive down that place, that old road, that highway, that open that book. Maybe it's a scripture. And something has come up where God stepped into your boat right now and He has gone, don't you remember how I was there? If something like that has happened in this service, I want you to lift your hands right now. I just want to pray with you. I just want to pray for you. Hands going across this room. Just want to give you a few, few more moments. Are you saying, that's something, that's something, that's something, that's something. Why don't we say this together? Jesus... I give you my memory. I let go of the patents and I recognize the promise. Show me today what you've done for me. Know what you're about to do, but what you've done for me. And allow that memory to come alive in my imagination. I give you all the glory, all the praise. In your name we pray. Amen.